Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is March 28th, 2016. This is episode 157. I'm Scott Magnus. I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, Brian Roberts. I mean, Jake English. You can find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also check us out at baltimoresportsreport.com, where we are a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Check us out also on BaseballTalkRadio.com for a bunch of uh, baseball podcasts. If you're looking to basically spend your day wandering through the baseball realm and not having to deal with work. Check us out on third-party platforms such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and iTunes. Please rate and review the show if possible. It helps to bring more people into this frutal futile effort, which is called trying to make any money on podcasting. With that, social media, facebook.com slash bvcast, and most importantly, Twitter at birdseyeviewbal. And most importantly, I want to bring up before we get started with you know the, the tomfoolery as it is, April 3rd, 2016, we will be joining the rest of Birdland in preparation of opening day on Birdland Radio. Uh, we will be on at 3.30 on birdlandradio.com. Turn to your turn your dials to it. Listen to turn it. Turn your dials yeah, to it. Yeah, what can I say? And uh, I think it starts at eight o'clock. That's not right. Eight, eight, nine. I bet you the details can be found at BirdlandRadio. Bet you the details can be followed at BirdlandRadio.com. Uh, but definitely check it out. We're doing raffles, prize giveaways. We've got an interesting personality maybe to talk to for our segment. Highly recommend, folks. Turn in then. Um, let's get to the important part. Drink of the week, Jake. What are you doing this week? I- I'm dr- drinking a new beer. Okay. Drinking a new beer, and this is not just a new and interesting setup for me to tell you I'm drinking Natty Boat. This is new beer. Uh, I'm drinking a Manor Hill IPA uh, from the Manor Hill Brewing Company, uh, or Manor Hill Brewing uh, of Ellicott City. It, first couple sips, I wasn't quite sure, but on on some careful study and research. So after I, three cans. I like this beer. This is, this is I, I, I give this uh, IPA a thumbs up. It's an above average IPA. Yeah. Congratulations. What about you? What do you, when it comes to above average IPAs, let me just turn it over to the professional. What are you drinking, sir? So I'm drinking a Dogfish Head Romantic Chemistry IPA. It is a IPA which has been flavored with apricot fruit um and a little ginger as well um scotty i'm I'm jealous yeah i thought that i brought the romantic chemistry to this podcast no 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 no. joe angel does but not joe look we're interested to hear what you are drinking join us on untapped at m-a-g-n-8606 and jake jake e4025 and with that let's go ahead and see who's injured and who's not in the medical wing Check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. 
All right, so the big news is going to be Kevin Gossman, who's been shut down. Um, all of a sudden started throwing again today. Uh, nothing negative came out of it, but Kevin Gossman will be starting the season on the DL, which should come as no shock to anybody. Uh, one shoulder tendonitis was basically put out there. And it's the like, right move. It's the right move. And again, if anything, he might miss one start. Mm-hmm. And in reality, is that really that big of a deal, especially since we already talked about it earlier this season? Um, I wasn't sure if he was going to get through the entire season from his innings limit on it, on its own. So I'd rather him be fully healthy going into the season and also have the innings in August and September when the Orioles optimistically may need him. Next, we have Matt Wieters, who is he's back to kind of playing games. He was in an intra-squad game where he the, the beat writers said that he was throwing to bases. Now, I don't know if that means competitively trying to run uh, to throw out runners or if he was just throwing it from home to the bases. We'll see. Uh, I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that he's moving, that he's still alive. I am not convinced, however, that he is going to be yeah. ready to go. The thing is, too, like the, the documentation that came out from that one was he was able to call the game to a certain aspect. So he could throw the ball whenever he wanted to throw the ball and say, hey, you're not running right now. You can't run. It's kind of like playing Calvin Ball, where Matt Wieters was able to make up his own rules uh, on the field, basically, to make him look as good as possible. I like that. A, a good Calvin and Hobbes reference is always welcome on this program. Yeah. Last, I don't want to upset too many people, but mm. there is a there's a dear Oriole who was felled this week. And uh, hard, of the, hard of the lineup. I, I think that this, this it takes some delicacy and some respect. No, no, some... Re three pecked. Re three pecked. Um, Ryan Flaherty had the flu, flu like symptoms this week, so he is not getting those reps he desperately needs in order to make this club. Oh, yeah. It's kind of nice that we don't have to care about Ryan Flaherty whether he plays or not. Well, not to spoil anything, I'm not sure if Ryan Flaherty's going to make this club. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. All right. Well, let's get into some less serious topics in 140 characters or less. This week on the Twitters. So the first tweet, Jake, did you want to take it? Sure. Well, let's go into the the mind of John Maoli, of course, uh, newer beat writer for the Baltimore Sun. Uh, Buck Showalter went to Taco Bell last night, regretted it, now doesn't. Quote, I'm doubling up. We won. We're on a roll, man. End quote. And who can argue? Who can argue indeed, we ask. Look, this goes out directly, of course, to our good friend Derek Arnold of Utah Street Report, who refers to this lineup as the Taco Bell lineup. Um, this lineup has all the runs, That's, and it is explosive. It is explosive, yep. All right, next one. You know, Buck is on a roll here. Uh, this tweet comes out from David Wilson. You can follow him at dbwilson2. He's an MLB Network reporter. Buck is quoted as saying, I heard that song the other day, Buck Schroeder said, that holler back girl. What's a holler back girl? Jake, what is a holler back girl? See, I love the fact that because the thing is, I don't believe for a second that Buck Showalter is not familiar with that song. He's playing dumb, and you got to know that uh, Buck Showalter on quiet drives in, in, in and around Dallas is just blaring uh, rock steady. The uh, Ooh, shit, nice. The thing is, Buck Showalter has many facets. He he's a he's a talented guy. He's a knowledgeable guy. I think he's an interesting guy, but beyond that, Scott, he's not just an interesting guy. I think he might be the most interesting man in baseball.
is named Manager of the Year every 10 years. He holds his hip when he is walking to the mound because his strut is too sexy. For him, when good things are delayed, they are not denied. He is the most interesting man in baseball. Sleep fast and we live in a water dump in lately world. What the hell was that? I I think he's selling beer now. Wow. All right, next we've got another tweet that comes to us uh, from Matt Lund, our good friend, uh, BSR contributor, a host of the BSR podcast. You can find him at Matt C. Lund. Please don't let Joey Rickard situation turn out to be the Jake Fox situation. Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, please don't let it happen. Oh, please. Oh, please. But it's likely going to happen. Uh, next week goes to hashtag the Brian Roberts watch. I miss the Brian Roberts watch. I listened to an old episode of our show because I'm a sad old man. And it was during that shtick, and I miss it. I'm sorry. It's over. Yeah, maybe if he comes back and does stuff on Mass, and we can bring it back again. But for the time being, it's retired. This goes from uh, Twitter Lou Barrels. You can follow him at Lou Barrels. Brian Roberts day-to-day with a mid-back strain. Not commenting today. Unknown status for tomorrow. It's just like the good old days. Not knowing Brian Roberts' health status. It's a golf clap. That's yeah. a good one. All right. And final tweet of the week. Oh, this is a sad trombone, if I've ever heard a sad trombone. This comes from our good friends at Camden Chat. You can follow them at Camden Chat. The good news is that three batters into the game, Miguel Gonzalez hasn't given up any runs. Bad news, Ozer on the road. He hasn't pitched yet. Oh, it hurts because oh. it's so true. That is really harsh but really funny. Good job, Mark. Well done. All right. Well, with that, I think we got a lot to talk about. We've got one week to go. And normally this is the kind of the boring part of spring training because everything has already been arranged and nothing is going on. But like the Orioles normally do, they throw everything out the window and say, let's just shake up the cards and see what happens. So let's go around the bases and figure out what the heck is going on. All right, so going around the bases, uh, there's been several topics that have come up in the past few days. I think we need to start at first base with this Hunsu Kim drama. And, of course, we're talking about the Ken Rosenthal article that came out indicating that the Orioles were discussing potentially shipping him back to Korea, uh, potentially offering him a buyout and basically saying, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to get a little bit of our money back and uh, we're going to move on and pr- pretty much just go with Joey Ricard or some other player out there. So uh, the question they had to come out was, is this basically media dribble and clickbait material that Ken Rosenthal has put out there, or is there some legitimacy or smoke uh, beyond this fire that's going on? What's what's going on in your opinion, Jake? I can't decide. I'm totally torn because first and foremost— You're out of faith? Yeah, I, this is how I feel. You're cold and you're ashamed? No. Um, the thing—we heard that song on the radio the other day. It's like, it's my song! It's song. my song! It's Jake's theme song. Um I can't tell because this could just be a situation where somebody in the media is trying to make a story because they've got nothing else in their notebook and they're, they're hey, what about this? Uh, the other thing, though, is that 
there may be something to it. You remember, Kim had a very slow start to the spring. And let's not kid ourselves. The KBO is often considered to be a league that plays at about the double A level. And so some of these guys are ready to make the step into the major leagues, and some of them are not. And the Korean players that are ready to make that that leap often spend some time in Japan first. Mm-hmm. So it's not crazy to think that maybe they got him into big league camp and they said, oh, this is not a guy that can make that leap. On the other, on the other hand, I don't know that I've seen enough to make me think that. <laughs> and and you so, can't tell after only forty plate appearances. No, but but here's here's the thing: wasn't part of the draw of signing Kim that if he couldn't cut it for some reason, the investment was so small that it wouldn't really matter if we cut him? I mean, he did seven million dollars um, over two years. I mean, you're right. From a one year thing, it's only three and a half million dollars, and that's a relatively small sum to basically say you know what thanks but no thanks they really didn't work out for you alejandro diaz for example the oros cut him and you know that was a basically a similar money loss so it's not absolutely horrible if the Orioles move away from it and say you know what we don't think that we're going to get this back and we want to reprioritize the problem is if the Orioles are making decision after only 40 plate appearances i think which is the bigger concern it's okay to move away from him and say yeah this guy has shown nothing but has he really shown nothing whatsoever? I mean, only I mean, he would have to be really, really poor for this to happen. Well, and this is an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I'm in front of a microphone. Sure. Last year, the games counted. They were trying to win, and they gave 97 at-bats to Chris Parmley. Yeah, this is what uh, Connor Garosio of uh, the BSR and Between Two Birds pointed out, too. So, yeah, I mean, they definitely went with a uh, heavy platoon situation uh, to basically see who could cut it in the outfield. And, and to mirror Connor's point, if they can give those at-bats to a guy like Parmalee, why can't they give a, a guy like Kim, who may have an upside, sure. those at-bats at least to start and and see if he can he can cut it? I think the question is, um, if you're not going to give it to Kim, who else are you going to go give it to? So, like for example, David Murphy was released by the Red Sox. The Orioles apparently are interested in a David Murphy. Matt Joyce was also released by the Pittsburgh Pirates, another name that the Orioles allegedly have been linked to. So the question is, if you don't want to give the 100 or so plate appearances to Kim, but you'd rather give the 100 or so plate appearances to a David Murphy or a Matt Joyce, is that the reason why the Orioles want to ship the bat? Because they are aware of these other players that are Major League Baseball proven talent um, and they think that they would be a better fit for the club at this time. And and by the way, cast off from other organizations. Absolutely. Uh, the other organizations obviously didn't see anything that said, yeah, these guys are going to be major draws and they're going to basically be able to be a major impact for us, even a platoon situation. Uh, and the Orioles, on the other hand, are looking at the castaways and saying, what can we do to rearrange the deck terrace on the Titanic once again? Right, and because just because they don't have enough going on internally, we we know the other options, right? We know that the other options are Nolan Reimold, who, look, I like him. I was a big fan of Nolan Reimold. He just can't stay on the field. And, he, and when he does get the opportunity, I feel like he doesn't always grab that opportunity by the horns, and that's why we're still in this situation now several years later. The other option is, is clearly going to be a guy named uh, you know Joey Rickard right? Also, not a slam dunk. Had a great spring. I'm really impressed. I'm really excited. I want to be excited about Joey Rickard, but I'm not going to fool myself. He might be Jake Fox 2.0. Right. I think if I'm going to come back to the whole, I mean, Rickard's already made the team. There's no question about it. Like he's a And he's earned it. And he's earned it, but he's a roll five draft pick. He was going to make the team pretty much regardless of the situation more than likely. But coming back to Hansu Kim, if you're looking at, you know, you need another outfielder because... 
you're going to need another outfielder. You need to have at least four or five outfielders on the team. So it comes down to if you're going to need two additional outfielders, it's going to come to Hunsu Kim, Nolan Reimold, or another player. So the question is, out of those three groups, which two are you going to pick? Me personally, I think Hunsu Kim offers the highest upside. I also think that he also <laughs> offers the lowest downside. But he is such a wild card that this team is going to need those players that you know they do, you're not expecting them to be big players but you, they basically have breakout seasons and you need to have those breakout seasons for this team to win and get to the playoffs this year and sure. hansu kim is one of those players that i think could have one of those breakout seasons sure i mean the thing is, is that the orioles are built so that everybody has to have a good year right but if you had a real major league team right you don't have to have superstars at every position no you don't you just have to have a a, a guy out in left field that's not negatively impacting you right exactly and i I think that's fine to a certain certain point the problem that i have is if you go ahead and get a matt joyce um or a david murphy you're going right back to a platoon situation (laughs) and we saw what happened hi travis snyder yeah and we saw exactly what happened with a with a platoon situation last year and jones got frustrated and and maybe they think the same thing's going to happen this year with hunsu kim Uh, i just think it's way too early to judge and i think 40 plate appearances is really quick Buck has to have seen something is the only thing I have to I would have to think. So I'm going to ask you pointedly. Yeah. Is he on the opening day roster? Yes. All right. Is he the starter? Oh, I'm going to say no. Okay. Is he at least in a platoon rotation? Yes. So he's not a bench player. He, he, maybe I, 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 the whole thing is shocking to me. Because the my whole aspect is, if you've got Joey Ricard, Joey Ricard strikes me as a great late innings replacement player. If I want to put Joey Ricard in there for a base runner, I could do it for a base runner. If I want to put him in there to go and replace Mark Trumbo in the outfield, he is perfect. He is basically a better David Lowe. Um, and, and that's good. You take that back, sir. And that's perfectly fine for me right now. I'd rather not have him be overexposed as a Rule 5 draft pick than to be like, well... Everyone knows the book on him now. We can't do anything with him. I'd rather keep a little bit of surprise and mystery to him and use him in situational advantages. You just made my argument because if I'm Buck, uh, Buck Showalter, by the way, I almost said Buck Martinez. That Buck would have Martinez. been awful. If I'm Buck Showalter, I don't want to to put too much on record right away. Right? I want to ease him in. If he's going to be a real player, if he's going to be a real guy, I want to ease him in, make him as comfortable as possible. Uh, but me, I throw Kim to the wolves. I throw him in the deep end right away. Uh, if if he at least platoons, which which I think is the direction you're going in, I think he, he will be the starter. That's my opinion, um, and I suck at these things. But with those two roles, how long is his leash? Uh, I'd say it's probably close to mid-May. Okay. I, I I think that's a fine answer. I'd go a little longer than mid-May, but I'm not, a too, not too much longer. So I, I will accept that answer. Here's why I'm going to give mid-May. Because when mid-May rolls around, he's open to trade. I could easily see another team picking him up and trade at a later point. Well, isn't that how trades work? Are are trash for your treasure? I mean, it's fantasy baseball. I could easily see the Dodgers picking him up and we trading a draft pick to them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Andre Ethier is on the shelf for 10 to 14 weeks. So I know that he's going to go to L.A. and he's going to basically be a superstar. If you're going to hurt my feelings, can we at least go to second base? Sure, we can go to second base. Starting pitching woes have uh, been... uh, uh, certainly something all Orioles fans have been concerned about. I think the pe- person that has the best spring training ERA is uh, Tyler Wilson and Mike Wright. 
Um, but everyone else that is in the rotation officially uh, has been absolutely dreadful, including Giovanni Gerardo, who I think is posted like a 22 ERA. But it's healthy. It's a healthy ERA. Yeah, I, I guess the, the the question is, at which point does it stop being, well, it's only spring print training, too. It start being, man, none of these guys are pitching very well. And are they ever going to get any better? I, and I don't know if there's an answer. I don't think we should be looking at ERA. I think we should be looking at strikeouts and walks. But I tell you what, the command of the starting pitching has been pretty terrible is the best way to describe it. They've been having a very low K-to-walk ratio, uh, a poor command issues. I don't know what's going on with them uh, besides maybe the aspect of they're just not very good. Well, it's it's very possible that these guys aren't very good. I, I think that's certainly a very real possibility. But over their career, they've never been this bad is the, the concern I have. Well, and neither was Bud Norris, Yeah, right? Um, that's the nightmare scenario. That's the nightmare scenario is that you have four guys that are suddenly Bud Norris 2015. That is, that's it right there. Um, I'm not an excuse maker for this team in any way, shape, or form. And so I have a, a hard time with this because I don't put too much in spring training pitching performance because you never know who's going out there working on their changeup. You never know who's going out there and is there to do a very specific thing with their results. And, you know, damn the torpedoes. It doesn't matter. We talked last week about Chris Tillman saying, I I was going out there and my hip wasn't, you know, where it needed to be in order for me to pitch. Would he have pitched like that during the season? We have no way of knowing. So I I take... There's been many innings we've seen where like Jimenez will come out and just throw all fastballs. Right. And you're just like, okay, you're just parking your fastball command. I take spring training performance with a, with a huge grain of salt. On the other hand, yeah. I can't ignore the fact that they're getting lit up. And by the way, these players aren't all on the trips. Some of these players, some of these pitchers are pitching at home against single A and double A players and, you know, one or two starters from the other team and getting lit up. Yeah. So it's not a good scene. I don't know how to balance being cavalier about spring training and being really freaked out about the fact that the starting pitching, which will sink this team if it is not at least mediocre, sure, is terrible. I, I don't know how to how to deal with that. If I am being honest with myself, yeah, I'm probably I probably should be more concerned than I am. I'm petrified right now. I'm absolutely petrified. It's not an it's not an unreasonable point. And look. Gosman is, I felt like, our only hope. He's the only pitcher that I look at and I'm like, you know what? You're a real pitcher, dude. Yeah. Even even if you don't make your your ceiling, your median is going to yeah. be... At you least know, you intrigue me to a certain right. regard. But he's, I like know, what you're selling. But he's going to start on the DL, and I think you and I have both agreed that that's probably the right move. It saves him for later. It makes sure you don't rush him. He doesn't get hurt. But one of two things can can happen either he can be on the dl and he can come back when we've been told he's going to come back and he can even be that fifth starter right so he can make the one of the first five starts or one of be one of the first five guys to make starts yeah or this thing could linger and we would need to test our depth right away yeah my question for you is in that second scenario who who comes up for him um my personal opinion is that Mike Wright comes up first for him. Um, I think, you know, looking at how Mike Wright and Tyler Wilson have both pitched this 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 spring, they've done a remarkable job. Buck has been really high in both of them. I would think it'd be Mike Wright just in terms of innings that he's pitched, um, just being a little more extended than Tyler Wilson. But I think it could be either one. But I think it would be Mike Wright at this time. I think it's Tyler Wilson. Um, I think it's Tyler Wilson because... I would wish it would be Tyler Wilson. Because uh, of the results. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would want it to be Tyler Wilson if I had a choice. Uh, in fact, if it was my choice, I'd have it be Mike Wright and Tyler Wilson and put Gonzo 
back to Norfolk or into the bullpen for the time being. Yeah, I, I might I might be tempted to do that as well. I wrote a piece over at Baltimore Sports Report, which you should definitely check out because they write great things and I occasionally participate. Um, you put animated images up. I do. Yeah. Um, but I, I said that the Orioles are in a position where they can out-opportunity other teams. You know, it, Gosman being down is a bad thing. It is a bad thing. But it does give us a chance early to see what we've got in a controlled environment. Can Mike Wright, can Tyler Wilson pitch at the major league level in spot start situations and be a band-aid to get us through. And if they can do that successfully, or at least not screw us for short periods of time, I think that's a great thing for August when this team needs a punch in the arm. Sure. Or when Tillman or Gallardo has dead arm or has some sort of nagging injuries. Can somebody come in for one or two starts and do it effectively? We're going to find out right away. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Um, so what do you think the ceiling is for the rotation going forward after what you've seen so far? Honestly, I think the ceiling for this rotation is you can have one above average pitcher in Gosman who can come out, pitch 20 starts, you know, have a, a sub four ERA win, uh, you know, a bunch of games between 15 and 20 um, and, and exceed all of his, you know, ERA to FIP ratio and everything that you could possibly want. And then have four other guys who are, you know, they're okay. Those are guys that could pitch on any rotation in the league. Do you think they can be better than last year? Yes. So you think their ceiling is that they can be better than last year? I do. Okay. I'm not sure if they can be better than next last year, and that concerns me greatly. So I guess that's where we leave it. Leave it. Um, talking about other pitchers, too, going to third base, uh, the left-handed relief pitcher carousel has been uh, pretty dominant lately. Uh, so we had uh, Phillips be joined to the team and then we had uh almost join the team as well not almost almost uh and he was came over he from, almost joined the team yeah so they're on the 40-man roster tj mcfarland is still there um i guess the question is if madness is going on the dl which it certainly sounds like he's going to go on the dl um do you think the orioles go ahead and put a left-handed reliever into their bullpen for this time being or do you think they just go with all righties in the starting pitching and in the bullpen that's a really good question because here's something dumb do they even need a loogie i mean if you have rotation or if you have relief options that can get out right-handed uh and left-handed pitching alike do you really need a lefty just so you can say you have a lefty i i guess you don't have to um but it, it it's common practice is the best way to go for a situational matchup and say hey we're going to go and get this david ortiz out with a left-handed specialist okay let me let me try to take this deeper yeah if the cream of your crop is tj mcfarland yeah do you stick with all righties who can get outs yes yes you do i might look i like tj mcfarland like i said i think he has a role in a major league club and maybe his role is to be the stand-in guy until i can't believe i'm going to say this until mattis gets back but I'm not very encouraged about any of the lefties on this roster. Let me put this in a different spin, too, and come back to your point, which is, do you really need a loogie? My opinion would be, if you've got a bunch of terrible starting pitchers, which we do, why not go out and get a bunch of multi-inning relievers in your bullpen? So you've got Dylan Bundy, who could potentially be a multi-inning relief pitcher. You've got Vance Worley, who could be a multi-inning relief pitcher. You could put Miguel Gonzalez in the bullpen if you really wanted to. He can, again, be a multi-inning relief pitcher. Brad Barak is also a pitcher that, over the past year, has shown his ability to go one-plus innings as a multi-inning reliever pitcher. Darren O'Day, Zach Burton, you're not going to use them as multi-inning relief every single time. But if you get four multi-inning relief pitchers, that means, in my opinion, if you get your string pitchers through four to five innings and then say, all right, we're going to bring the next guy in and he's going to pitch two innings, and then, okay, now we're through six or seven innings, 
Now we're going to go ahead and bring in Darren O'Day, Michael Givens, and Zach Burton to close out the game. That's not a bad formula, and it also keeps the starting pitching that you have that's not very good from continuously going through the order multiple times. And if you can do it from a roster flexibility standpoint, you can add Wright and Wilson to that lineup. Correct, exactly. And again, that'll be something that you can get into. Odrismer Despagne. Odrismer Despagne. Perfect example, another multi-inning relief pitcher that you could potentially bring up. And once he's stretched out as a starter, Jason Garcia. Jason Garcia, right. I mean, there's a ton of options in terms of the Norfolk Shuttle. Uh, I would be very interesting to... Uh, basically put together an Orioles rotation where they're only expected to go five innings, basically, and then bring in a multi-inning reliever. Just don't screw it up. Just don't screw it up. And we're just going to basically bring in someone to pitch two innings after you got through your first five innings, and we'll go from there. All right, Scotty, let's bring it home. Uh, We're a week away from opening day. By the way, we're here at home plate as we go around the bases here in Bird's Eye View. uh, We're a week away from opening day, and so I want to talk a little bit about opening day. Look, uh, no lie, I take this day off of work every year, and on the form I write religious holiday. It is a high holy day in Birdland. Opening day, look, if you're going to the game, if you just want to watch it at home with the family, if you want to watch it at a bar, whatever, if you want to be downtown and, and be part of the excitement, there is nothing like opening day. So funny story about your religious holiday. I did put that on my HR form this year. HR Are you fired? HR came to me, and uh, they're just like, yeah, like, if it's a religious holiday, you don't need to take a vacation day. And I'm like, here's the thing. It's a religious holiday for me, but it's not really a recognized religion. They're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, it's Orioles baseball. And they're just like, oh, that's a vacation day. And I'm like, why did you put religious holiday? And it's just like, it's kind of an obsession. They're just like, oh, okay. And then they went about their business like, I have a dumb friend who does it. Yeah, they're like, okay, we're going to have to drug test him at a later point. And uh, <laughs> you can continue on, on talking about your traditions and your plans now. No, I, I want to tell a quick story, and I've probably told it on the podcast before, but I'm going to assume that nobody listens to this before yesterday. Jake um, repeating stories? Wow. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. I had a, My first job out of college was with a uh, consulting firm in D.C., and this was right as the Nexpos joined, uh, joined the league, and they were still playing in that god-awful place called RFK. So our company had uh, seats at Cannon Yards, but they didn't have access to opening day. And the particular job that I had was working with some hotels, including the Sheridan Group. And so I got invited uh, to this outing that the Sheridan has had, which I, I hope they still have because it was awesome. But it was a uh, it was an all you can eat ballpark fair, which was hamburgers, hot dogs, and crab cakes, mm. and open bar for things you could find at the ballpark. And it was over at the Sheridan, um, and so it was like from I don't know twelve to two or something like that. And then you could go over to not the nice Sheridan. Uh, suite, but the auxiliary sure. uh, Sheridan suite, which is over on, on the right hand, uh, right field side, and you got opening day tickets for four people uh, there, and it was it was awesome. So I did this for a couple of years, ended up uh, changing jobs, but the Sheridan folks still had me on their list. There you go, and so they would continually invite me to their event because they were desperately trying to to drum up business with yeah. this company I was no longer working at. So eventually they they caught up to it and they they didn't invite me the, the last year and so I called them and I said hi you know this is Jake English I've been part of this event for the last five years now uh, I didn't get my invite this year I was wondering if there was a problem and they said oh gosh I'm so sorry we'll get that right out to you I, I managed to milk it one more year and the next year when I tried the same thing they uh, they called me on it but for like five seasons uh, Sarah and I and we we used to take. Uh, 
her sister and and, and uh, uh, brother in law out to uh, opening day, and it was great because, like I said, we would get loaded up on crab cakes and beer and wine uh, for a couple hours before the game. Show up, sober up through the game, and it was the best. It was the best. So what you're hearing, everybody, is go to the Sheridan before the game at twelve o'clock and just say. Yeah, my name's Jake English. I'm here for the party and just walk right in. Dude, impersonating me is never a good idea. <laughs> but we, we've we been uh, season ticket holders since, well, we started in 2012. And so our first opening day as season ticket holders has been uh, 2013. But yeah. did you have an opening day tradition before we started going? No. So it was just another day and you'd catch up with the game as soon as you got home from work type yeah. of deal? All right. That's what I would do is I basically would rush home and watch the game and just kind of enjoy the sights and sounds. But no, not really being part of the festivities whatsoever. I think the first time we went it was 2011, maybe with you guys. But yeah, I mean, there was it was a good time. But it, it, it certainly is one of those days where the entire, it feels like the whole Baltimore community comes together. And it's just like you can walk down the street and everyone just understands what it means to root for the Orioles. And like you've talked about before on this podcast, it was that one time of the year where there was still hope optimistically in, in Birdland. And it was like, here's the one day of the year that I can look up at the fly court and see the Orioles in first place. And then it just disappear. It was so funny because during the dark, during the dark era, like this was the one day you could get your Orioles freak on and, nobody, and people would not judge. Right. You. And nobody would give you crap for it. Right. Yeah. Like it was hope springs eternal or at least look, we know this team is terrible, but we love baseball. Let's just do this thing. And it's all ridiculous. Right. But that switch happened in you know 2013. Sure. You know, 2012. We I I predicted, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. Yeah. I predicted we were going to lose 100 games that season. Nobody thought that the Orioles were going to be good in 2012. Opening day 2013, this team just came off playoffs. You know, now we have the expectation of winning. It's a celebration. Yeah. You know, not just of oh, let's celebrate because this is the only day we can do it. But now, you know, you go down to opening day in Baltimore and. People are out in the street. I mean, we, we've, we for the it, last couple of years... It's, been, it's an anticipation, basically, as opposed to a celebration to a certain regard of, all right, it's time to start the marathon to a certain aspect yeah. and start the race, as opposed to saying, let's celebrate the one time where we're relevant once again. Um, and it, it, it's more of a kickoff to it. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see how much that dynamic has changed with the entire city. Like you said, you go down there and not be judged for wearing an orange bow tie, where now you can walk around, and if you're wearing an orange bone tie, you won't get too many weird looks. You'll still get weird looks, but you won't get too many weird looks. People will be like, oh, he's wearing his Orioles gear. That's, you know, pretty common stance right now. Whereas, you know, five years ago, um, it was everyone wore Ravens gear, and there was no Orioles gear whatsoever worn by the common populace. And now, I think the Ravens still dominates to a certain regard with merchandise, but the Orioles have definitely made an impact in terms of daily wear, in terms of sports gear in the city. I think it's great because the last few years, you and I have gone down uh, starting, like, you know, we try to get as early a start as we can. And so last year, like, I dropped my kids off at school, and then I went downtown, down, you know, downtown. And yeah. so, you know, 9 o'clock for breakfast, and people are talking Orioles. Yeah. You know, and then uh, local establishments for a little charity work and Bible studies, you know, you and I are good for, um, at, at local watering holes, and people are talking Orioles and all excited. You know, how are the birds going to do this year, that thing? And then it builds up to the game, and it's it's just Opening day is so much more fun now than it ever was. And so, again, however you do it, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, working an honest day's work, uh, uh, you know, honest day's uh, work and then coming home and celebrating at home or watching at a bar or even just catching a couple innings at a bar, you know, on your lunch break. Sure. Or going downtown just to hang out or even going to the game. 
whatever way that you can interact with opening day, this has become a day where it's now okay, you know, to get your Orioles freak on and it's not over after Monday. Yeah. Yeah, Tuesday being an off day is kind of a downer, but on Wednesday it's on again. It's on again. Yeah. And it's just, again, the marathon starts and it's all time. It's time to go on for the next six months. I'd be curious to hear what your opening day traditions and plans are. So go ahead and tweet us. Let us know. You can uh, drop a comment on the show notes here for this episode. We'd love to hear it. Give Um, us some ideas. Maybe we'll stop by and say hello. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. With that, why don't we go and make some terrible decisions and some terrible predictions. We'll be right back. Scotty, we talked about it in the first segment. We have a habit of making awful, awful predictions on this show. Awful. It started in our first year, and I don't think it was our first episode, but in our in the very early portion of Bird's Eye View, we made predictions for the upcoming 2012 schedule. Um, and I, I recommended that this team was a 100-game loser. I believe that was episode one. Really? I believe it was episode one, which you can go back and listen to, by the way. Do not do that. That is horrible. Do episode one, that. go to Bird's Eye View, type in search bar, episode one, and listen to it, and just shake your head. That's a terrible idea. So from Do we the, have to? From the, st- <laughs> <laughs> from the start, we were bad at this. That doesn't stop us. Scotty, let's go back to last year. What were our predictions for 2015? Sure. So, Jake, your predictions were Baltimore Menace would end the season with a sub 4.2 ERA. Which you got right. I nailed that. He got he was at a four eleven at the end of the season. You said this will be the last special year from Adam Jones. After this year, he'll be good but not great. I, I stand by that, but it's a kind of a crap prediction because we. And can't it really, really wasn't a special year for Jones. It was kind of a eh, year for Jones. We can't really tell if that'll be spot on until this year and the future. Sure, and you basically and you said also Kevin Gossman will make twenty plus starts for the Orioles. He had seventeen, so it was close. So close. But not quite there. So you get, I'll give you a B. That's probably one of your better years, all things considering. So my predictions were Chris Davis wins the home run crown again, fails to hit above 230. Hey, hey partial credit. Partial credit. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you batted 500 there, and that's pretty impressive. Next, you said that Brad Brock would post better numbers in terms of WPA than Andrew Miller. That was terribly, terribly wrong. Andrew Miller was pretty much top of the league in terms of win probability added, so completely wrong about this. The next one you were not... You didn't get right, but I'm going to give you credit for it. This is pretty good, actually. It was Manny Machado finishes second to Mike Trout in MVP voting and enters into the 220-20 club. So he didn't have 200 hits, did have 20 home runs, did have 20 stolen bases, and he finished pretty close up there in terms of MVP voting. Fifth? Fifth, I think it was, yeah. He, he, look, you didn't get this right, but this is, this is... You know, some sort of extra. Me credit. and Jeff Long called Manny Machado going to have that breakout. That's season. why he was good. Yeah. He was only good because you brought it up. So um, we are here to make awful, and we must underscore awful predictions for 2016. But we don't do this fourth in MVP voting, by the way. Fourth in MVP. See, that's pretty good. I like it. I like it. We don't do this in a vacuum, however. Yeah. Um, so we are going to ask you to play along on Twitter all this week with hashtag. O's predictions. Yep. Let us know what your terrible predictions are. 
Um, let's just let's just get Make this started. Them bold and outlandish. Yeah, look, don't play it safe. Yeah, that's not what we're here for. Uh, Act recklessly. You want to go back and forth a little bit? Back and forth. All right. So I'm going to start. My first prediction for 2016 is that Matt Weeders misses at least 81 games in 2016. Love this prediction because it's probably going to happen. So well done. That's an easy, I think, victory for you. Sad, but an easy victory. It's uh, all that lifting the uh, Baltimore Tower to swing it. I'm, I'm going to go with a little bit more difficult one. I think the Orioles managed to have at least one starter achieve 15 or more wins this season. All right. I like that prediction, but I'm going to take it one step further. Scott. Okay. My prediction is going to be that newcomer Giovanni Gallardo will be the Orioles' most effective starter in 2016, at least in the first glance. I think that he's going to end up with the most starts among your top five, the most wins, and the lowest ERA. However, I think that if you look a little bit deeper at his stats, you will be less impressed by him. I think that he'll uh, his ERA will be outperformed by his FIP, and his uh, walk minus K ratio uh, percentage will be terrible. Sure, and that's kind of actually what I was thinking about for this fifteen or wins. I don't think there's a single pitcher on this roster that is going to be out there saying, "Up, oh, he's a really good pitcher." I think it's going to be one of those ones that people are going to look and say, "Giovanni Guerrero's having a really good year," and then you're just like. Is he, or is he just getting really lucky for some of these wins? Is he really? Yeah. So yeah. my my prediction, Giovanni Garrett is going to be the best of the rest, so to speak. What do you got going on for your next one? All right. My next one is going to be the team goes into a fire sale at the trade deadline with at least three players from the opening day roster being traded. Oh, I don't like this at all. But it's probably going to happen. I don't like this at all. I refuse to participate. Mark Trumbo probably gone. Matt Wieters, if he's not hurt, might be gone. Stop. Hunsu Kim might be gone. Hope springs eternal. You're broken. Yeah. Okay. Look, this is how you spring eternal with hope. All, all right? right. My uh, third and final prediction is that the Orioles will have one, two, three, four players with wow. 30 dongs. Wow. 30 plus dongs and another two with 25 okay. or more dongs. So here are my 30, 30 dongers. Uh, Davis, clearly. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go Trumbo, Machado, and Scope. Okay, those are your four. Okay. All right. I'm going to say Jones also has a uh, a 25-pluser. But you don't want to give him the 30 because no. you want to hold on to that other prediction of yours where he's going to start having a down season. Yeah, and my, my other 25-plus is Alvarez. All right. I don't think that Alvarez is going to get the kind of at-bats that it's going to take to get to 30. I agree totally with you. I think, again, it's going to be into a platoon situation pretty heavy with him. He just can't hit left-handed hitter pitching. So if you're running into left-handed pitching, he's sitting on the bench. So I think at most he's going to get 400 plate appearances this year. All right. I'm doubling down this year. I'm going with Manny Machado, dominates the league this year, and posts the best single season for the Orioles since 1991 when Cal Ripken posted a monstrous season to win the MVP. And in the process, Manny Machado wins an MVP for himself this year. Wow. See, before you ended there, I was going to ask you what criteria we were going to judge. Like, what's better than Ripken? Is it is it, you know, head-to-head with Ripken's stats? But you're calling out Manny Machado to have an MVP. Manny Machado is going to have a superstar year this year. AL MVP. That's impressive. Manny Machado may have more home runs than Chris Davis this year. Uh, I don't know who that says, what that says about who, but I, I love your enthusiasm. I, I think he's going to have a breakout year, and uh, if the Orioles want to do anything with their money right now, it should be 
give as much money as he wants right now because so after the season it's going to be ridiculous they should sell the naming rights to canyon yards just to keep manny machado yes mm. yep oriole park at machado salsa stadium i love them salsa stadium i know yep. the medium stuff is the best the the, the mild mild, eh. mild not so good all right so predictions for uh records and standings Let, let's go through and pick out the al east since that's probably what everyone's most interested in all right Jake, but no I, I need you to go first all right my my al east is going to be leading off the al east is going to be toronto second place tampa bay third place boston fourth place baltimore fifth place new york yankees you're you're awful yeah you're awful you're picking our home baltimore orioles to finish fourth in this division yeah i'm thinking they're going to have right around 78 to 79 wins that hurts. The me. Yankees will be in the bottom, though, so that's positive. That hurts me. All right, let me go through my uh, top five for the East here. My top five for the for the yeah. AL East. Top I'm, five. I'm going with uh, Tampa Bay Rays taking the division, followed closely by the Toronto Blue Jays. That's the same two for both of us. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Your bottom three goes follows Boston with that great pitching that they're going to get from yeah. uh, David Price, followed by the Yankees, and then your Baltimore Orioles. Ooh. Wow. If we had done this show in a week in which the pitching didn't crap itself, yeah. you would have gotten a different answer from me. But right I'm now, not sure if that would have been the case for me. I'm not feeling good about the pitching, and I think that might be the difference in being first or fifth. What's your win total? If if they're going to be in the fifth, I say 78. Okay, so you're right with me, 78 wins. Yep. Okay. That's encouraging. Uh, let's go through Central. I've got Cleveland, Kansas City, Detroit, Minnesota, and the Chicago White Sox. I think Cleveland's pitching is going to um, prompt them and put them over the edge this year. I think Cleveland has a major back break, uh, breakout season. Um, Cleveland is one of my, basically, I think one of the stronger teams in all the American League, and I think they're going unsung right now. Now, I bought into Cleveland last year, and I won't make that same mistake this year. I'm going to go chalk. I'm going to say Kansas City, followed by Minnesota. Cleveland, Detroit, and that team from Chicago. Yep. Kansas City with that excellent, strong pitching staff. Oh, wait. Chalk. It's chalk. all chalk. Okay. All right. Who do you have for the West? I've got Seattle, Houston, Texas, Angels, and the Athletics. I think Seattle, uh, as well, has a major bounce back year with Robinson Cano leading them into the playoffs. Um, in fact, I'm really high on Robinson Cano this year. I think he is a top five MVP candidate. In fact, I think Cano and Machado are the ones that are actually going to be battling out for MVP this year. All right. I mean, for baseball's sake, I hope you're right. I think that Cano is going to continue to coast. Look, I, I don't I don't have anything against that player, but I think that's a guy that shifted it into neutral. Dude was completely had a completely unlucky season last year. Some of that bad ball velocity is top of the league. He's gonna have a breakout season. If you're not drafting him in fantasy baseball, you're doing it wrong. All right. Like I said, I, I hope for baseball's sake, you're right. Uh, in the West, I have Houston followed by Texas. Uh, Seattle is third for me, followed by the Angels and then Oakland. Yeah, wild cards. I've got Kansas City and Houston. Who do you got for wild card? I'm going to go with Minnesota followed by Toronto. So first spot, Minnesota. Second spot, Toronto. All right. Uh, manager of the year, I've got Terry Francona. Rookie of the year, I've got Byron Buxton. 
Uh, AL MVP, I've got Manny Machado and AL Cy Young. I'm going to go with Felix Hernandez since Seattle is going to be a breakout contender in the AL West this year. All right. I mean, you know, he's he's getting older, but uh, Hernandez is always a candidate for sure. that. Uh, as for myself, I'm going to go with Jeff Bannister, Texas Rangers uh, coach, manager of the Rangers, and because I expect them to do so well uh, in this season, I expect uh, be, uh, that will be in large part due to the AL Rookie of the Year appearance by Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo crushes balls. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is that he plays positions that he might actually see. Yeah, you know. Uh, uh, Beltre at third base may miss some time uh, just due to the age consideration. Sure. He plays third. He also plays the outfield. And remember, Hamilton's going to miss time as well. So I yeah. think that Gallo is finally going to find some significant at-bats. And yeah. that's I like Gallo a lot as a rookie of the year candidate. Uh, AL MVP for me is Correa out yeah. of Houston. Another guy that crushes the ball. <laughs> yeah. So excellent choice. A lot of fun to watch. And uh, AL uh, Cy Young uh, for me is Chris Archer. If he wins the AL East like you're predicting, I could definitely see Chris Archer being a, a potential Cy Young candidate. It, it has to happen. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, Tampa's going to have another middling season. Yep. NL East, uh, I got Washington, New York, Miami, Philadelphia, and Atlanta. You know, your rampant Washington Nationals love makes me sick. Right. Uh, myself, I'm going with the Mets, followed by Washington. Uh, with uh, And then the bottom three turns out to be Miami, Philadelphia, and Atlanta. Don't be sleeping on Washington. They had a bad season last year, but they'll come right back this year. Got the Dusty Bakers. Yeah. Um, going into the Central, I've got the Cubs, Pirates, Cardinals, Reds, and Brewers. All right. For me in the NL Central, I'm picking the Pittsburgh Pirates. How dare you, To sir? come out ahead How of the scrum. How dare you? Followed by the Chicago Cubs, uh, St. Louis Cardinals. And by the way, that, that three-headed monster in the NL Central. Brutal. I think it's going to be the best baseball you watch all year. I think that whoever comes in third should get to go to the playoffs anyway. It's, you know, I tip my hat to that entire division. Oh, except for the rest of it. Uh, yeah. Milwaukee and Cincinnati. Uh, NL West, I'm going San Francisco with the uh, even year. Arizona, mm -hmm. Dodgers, Padres, Colorado Rockies. I am also honoring San Francisco with the uh, every other year aspect, but I'm only going to give them second place in that division. I'm going to pick Arizona hmm. in the West, followed by San Francisco, the Dodgers, San Diego, and Colorado. I just don't think Arizona did enough. I think they're the San Diego Padres of this year. I think you might be right, but I'm not impressed altogether with the NL West. All right. Well, I'm going to give the Diamondbacks a wild card spot because maybe they'll manage it. But the Pittsburgh Pirates get my wild card spots, and I think they're going to be, like you said, big movers in that division. I think they won't be probably the, one of the best teams in all the National League right there with the Cubs. Um, my manager oh, – sorry, go ahead. You do your wild card. Sure. For the NL wild card, I have Chicago Cubs taking the first slot and, as I indicated, the San Francisco Giants taking the second slot. All right. And for manager of the year, I've got Joe Madden because he's amazing. If anybody brings Cubs onto the field, they deserve manager of the year immediately. Uh, Rookie of the Year, Trey Turner, again, for my loving Washington Nationals. Bryce Harper, my MVP, again, loving my Nationals. Wow. And uh, Cy Young, Max Scherzer, loving my Nationals. Scotty, you are shopping at Walgreens tonight. Josh Denver love, love my selections. All right, let me just run through this here. Again, I expect uh, at least medium things out of the San Francisco Giants, and it is an even year. So my manager of the year for the NL goes to Bruce Bochy. Uh, NL Rookie of the Year, I'm going with Corey Seager. Love this pick. Yeah, I think, Love this pick. I think if he, again, gets the at-bats, he can do it. Uh, NL MVP, I always like to go dark horse. Yeah. And last year, 
I don't know if you remember my awful prediction, which didn't come true even a little bit. Yep. Was Josh Harrison yeah. of the Pittsburgh Pirates, yeah. of whom I expected big things, as I did the Pirates. This year, I'm going to go with another Pirate. I'm going to pick Andrew McCutcheon. I think I made fun of you for picking Harrison. I was like, why wouldn't you pick McCutcheon if you're going to pick any Pirates outfielder? Here's the thing. Uh, McCutcheon is is capable of it. He's got an MVP caliber season in him somewhere. I hope this is the year. He's the kind of player that, uh, you know, any any baseball fan should get behind. And, you know, good for the Pittsburgh yeah. fans that they have a player like this to get behind. My NL Cy Young Award winner is uh, Wei Yin Chen. Excuse me? Uh, my NL Cy Young Award winner is Wei Yin Chen of the Miami Marlins. All right, moving on. That's absolutely ridiculous. Why? Uh, you don't you don't think he's got a, a Cy Young caliber performance inside of him? No, he does not. Scotty, if all that lay between us and being incredibly upset at the fact that Wei Yin Chen went to another team was the fact that he won the Cy Young, why wouldn't he do it? Hello, did you not pay attention to Jake Arrieta last year? Yeah, but he, he wasn't there with Rick Adair, was he? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I, I still say he'll make us sad because he can. Yeah. All right, for playoffs, I've got AL champs Houston Astros over the Toronto Blue Jays, NL champs Pittsburgh Pirates over the Chicago Cubs, which is an upset in my opinion. Uh, World Series champions, I'm picking the Houston Astros over the Pittsburgh Pirates. You're insane. Yeah. All right, let's uh, jump into my picks. Uh, I've got, as far as the AL is concerned, Houston over my chalk pick of Kansas City. Both picking Houston the AL. That's kind of frightening. Yeah. For NL, I've got the Chicago Cubs over Pittsburgh. Mm. And my World Series looks like God. Chicago over Houston. Oh, you're going to say they're going to finally break that, that that curse. There's no way it's going to happen. But hey, what better curse could be laid upon the Chicago Cubs than me picking them? That's a really good point, actually. Dexter Fowler would have to be concerned right yeah, now. Yeah, he can't backpedal out of that. So those are our predictions. And I, I challenge you, Birdland. We need outlandish, foolish, bold predictions that won't come true. We've laid it out there on the line. What have you got for us? Tweet us at our hashtag O's predictions. With that, let's go through everything that was good, bad, and ugly. That's right. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to start off this week. My good is going to go to Mike Wright and Tyler Wilson. Two bros driving together in a car, going trying to get that final roster spot. And Jake, I think both of them are going to get on the roster to start for opening day. Good for both of those boys for going out there and taking the competition to heart and doing a great job. Hats off to them. You think both of them make the opening day roster? Yeah, I think both of them make the opening day roster. I think you're insane. Well, what can I say? I think it's going to happen. All right. My good for this week is Nolan Reimold. And look, Nolan Reimold, I could give you the stats, but it's spring and it doesn't matter. Nolan Reimold's hitting the cover off the ball and he's doing this thing that he always does, which is he takes the early opportunity to remind you of everything you hoped he would be in 2009 when he was a legit AL Rookie of the Year candidate. And then he gets hurt. Womp womp. Buck Showalter said this week that he's reminding us that Nolan Reimold can be good when he's healthy. 
So my good for this week is a healthy and productive Nolan Reimold. I hope that we see it for the rest of the season. I'm not convinced, but for this week, he was good. All right. Well, my bad for the week is going to go to Brad Brock. And um, Brad's concerned me a little bit, actually, recently. He, he's been not so much from the aspect of the hits or the runs and everything that people are looking at. I'm more looking at the command, and the command has been absolutely abysmal lately for him. His strike percentage is down this year compared to spring training. It's at 67.1%, where normally it's around 84%. Uh, his K per walk is at 1, where normally it's at 4 to 8. Um, Brad Brock just, just, is, just looks like he's off for some reason, and I can't tell what the reason is. Again, don't like to read too much into it, but it, it's concerning to me. I'm not going to give it an ugly, but it's concerning to me. Brad Brock, you're my bad for the week. My bad for this week is uh, meteorology. Mm. Have you looked at the weather forecast for opening day? It's like 53 degrees. Yeah. It's up to 53 degrees. Yeah. We were in the 40s at one point. Yeah. Meteorologists, get your stuff together. I need fifty high 50s, mid 60s. I need a comfortable opening day. I need the kind of day that I can saunter through the streets of Baltimore, beer in hand, maybe a sausage, telling other Orioles fans, what's up? Let's go. I don't need to shiver. I don't need this from you, meteorologists. Get it together. I've been helping to solve this problem. I've been going outside every single day since I saw this and just putting aerosol directly up at the sky and just letting that ozone go out. That's all we need. Yeah. All right, my ugly for the week is going to have to go to the Orioles front office in their handling of the Hunsu Kim situation. I, I'd really care if the Orioles get rid of Hunsu Kim. I think it's a bad move. But there's an obviously a leak that's currently within the Orioles front office because that information shouldn't have got out to Ken Rosenthal at this time. It's a very awkward situation for the Orioles to now have to go through. And it's also a very bad situation publicly that they always have to deal with in terms of trying to go out and do international free agents in the future. Look, if they get rid of Hunsu Kim in the situation after only 40 at-bats, I'm sorry. They're not going to be able to go back to Korea and get anyone in the near future. No one is going to want to sign with them because there's probably going to be no hope for them to say, what happens if I get there and the Orioles don't want to you know, work with me or deal with me? Uh, the Orioles are putting themselves in a really bad situation publicly. I'm not happy with it. Orioles front office, you're ugly this week. Get yourself together. I think that's a, that's a really great ugly. My ugly for this week is that sinking feeling. Mm. I've got that sinking feeling, Scott. Do you have that sinking feeling? I lost that love and feeling, but... No, this is different. This is that sinking feeling that he might be right. Donald Trump? No, oh. that's not going to happen. Oh. Here's the he that I'm talking about. Uh, there was a kerfuffle today on Orioles social media over some comments that Keith Law made on ESPN. Oh, God. All right, and these comments were that the Orioles were the only clear non-contender in the AL East. I mean, he went on during the broadcast uh, of an Orioles and Red Sox game to, to say a lot more than that. Uh, and uh, actually, some folks over at Orioles uh, Hangout, uh, at OriolesHangout.com, did a great job of just listing that. Uh, and it's a, a top five list here. The first is that there was the leak, as you just mentioned, mm. of the Kim situation. Second of all, that uh, he said that Gosman's shoulder injury slash ineffectiveness is due uh, directly to the Orioles moving him from one side of the rubber to the other. Another complaint about pitching development. The third uh, uh, that the poster at Orioles Hangout mentioned 
was that uh, Bundy's calcification means that he'll never be able to handle a lot of innings, never be able to be a starter, and also beat up the club about uh, taking away his cutter. Fourth, uh, that the Orioles haven't addressed their OBP needs uh, with all the other improvements they made with the club. And fifth, like I just said, that they are the clear non-contender in this division. And it's easy as a fan to just, you know, puff your chest and get upset about it. But my ugly for this week is that sinking feeling. The Keith Law, who I think doesn't like this club and says things about the Orioles because he, you know, has been wronged one too many times by people in the front office, he might be right. And this club might not be a contender in the AL East. And this club may be flawed in many ways. And it'd be a lot easier to laugh off uh, Keith Law if the Orioles were a million and O in spring training. But instead, we're seeing the Orioles lose games. We're seeing their pitching just get destroyed. We're seeing guys like Chris Davis, you know, batting under the Mendoza line for a good portion of the summer or of the spring. We're not seeing the things that we need to see to be able to laugh off this criticism. Instead, we have to sit there with that ugly, sinking feeling in our gut. And that is ugly. Yeah, it's not been very fun to listen to Keith all probably spout the truth. All right, you want to go ahead and blow the save, or you want me to take it this week? Let's hear it. All right, I'm going to go ahead and blow the save. All right, so just a few minutes ago, I basically went in about trashing the uh, Baltimore Orioles front office. But now I'm going to rec- reprimands and say they did a good job this week on one thing. So an article came out on BaseballEssential.com a few weeks ago uh, talking about the head independent scout for the Baltimore Orioles. His name is Ryan Powell, and uh, he, he was a former catcher, and then he had some injuries happen. He basically had to drop out of basically playing professional baseball and became a scout within the Baltimore Orioles organization. Well, um, un- unfortunately... Brian is or Ryan is having some issues with his family. His mom is uh, fighting cancer right now, and there's not exactly sure whether or not um, his mom is actually going to win this fight against cancer. So, the Orioles decided to go ahead and make it a little bit special for the family. They signed him for a one day contract so he could get back on the field, play some baseball with the Baltimore Orioles, and his family was able to basically be there and watch him on the field one last time. And you know, this is the kind of stuff that baseball is all about. This is what makes people romantic about baseball. Did it need to be done? No. Should it have been done? Yes. The Orioles did a great job of facilitating this. And again, Ryan Powell was able to get on even in a minor league game and make some memories. Look, it's a great way to bring uh, recognition to the cause. There was commemorative bats made up. Um, There was bats made up with his mom's initials. The bat was given to his mom. A really special day. And the Orioles did a really good job of making this happen. So to the Baltimore Orioles... I give you crap a lot of times, but when you do stuff like this and uh, you basically support initiatives such as Stand Up to Cancer, you get a tip of the cap from me. So keep up the good work on the social media front and on these public relations standpoints. The front office still gets gripe with me, but in public relations, this is good work. So keep up the good work, Orioles. 
Um, with that, that's that's basically all I had for blowing the save. But I figured we might as well make some positivity and some sappiness at the very end before we start baseball season. Hey, I'm the baseball romantic here. I I fully and wholeheartedly appreciate the message. Yeah. With that, uh, look, we've got a week left of spring training, and then the games matter for real. At that point, we'll know if we have to make excuses or if we've got something here in our 2016 Baltimore Orioles. I look forward to being able to talk about real games with real meaning and and stature to them. Real meaning up until, like, May when they're out of the picture because they're going to have 78 wins this year. Stop. All right. With that, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Seriously, prove Keith Law wrong. That's all we're asking, okay? Just prove him wrong. Please. Machado for MVP. I have that sinking feeling. That's the Taco Bell lineup. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.